0: One, two, three, break.
1: Down the middle of the field, it is time. Loose
0: football. Who's got it? Down at the one yard line.
1: How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> <laughs> and we are
0: underway. Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network. NFL Podcast it is the Conference Championship Friday show. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down this weekend's action is Chris Raybon, a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bet on ESPN Plus. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, last week we gave some picks that we liked for the various games for the two picks where we directly opposed each other the KC Indy Total, Indy Patch Charger spread, I there won, you know. and you lost. So that's really the end of the show. I have nothing more <laughs> I need to talk about this week. <laughs> nothing, nothing more Woo! to say. Uh, no, any, uh, any takeaways from the
2: divisional round action that we saw last week? I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, Tom Brady, that was one of those games where the coaching made a difference. Because yeah you know, like the the Patriots had such a great game plan uh, on both sides of the ball. And you could like, the Chargers didn't get into that game until like the third quarter. So
0: coaching Um, makes so much of a difference that I can't even tell you right now, the name of the Chargers head coach. That's how. (laughs) Oh man. I mean, don't,
2: don't, don't do Anthony Lynn like that. He, I mean, he's, you know, he's 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 no Vance Joseph. No,
0: he's, he's not. So anyway, these, These are the four best teams. I think, you know, that much was kind of clear before the games and uh, was clarified after the games. So uh, we have a really good weekend of football ahead of us with, I would say, you know, the four best teams in football remaining. So that is something to look forward to. On the Wednesday show with Peter Jennings, Sean Corner and Ian Harditz, we looked at the two-game slate through a DFS perspective. For this episode, we're going to break down each game this weekend and then also look at each of the one-game DFS slates. As you are listening to the show, please rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. And for all of our written content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. We are still doing fantasy rankings, and you can find those at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. Let's jump into it here. The first game of the weekend. And I have to say, I don't like it that they pushed the games back like a couple of hours you know what I mean like I, I feel like I'm getting robbed of my normal Sunday routine but anyway it, it is what it is the first game it, it's always been like that though no it, I know it's- I know I know I just I it's so jarring to me you know I, I, I it's like Sunday and it's like okay it's it's 1 p.m eastern time and then it's like oh no I have two hours just to sit and wait so anyway all right the NFC championship game at 3.05 p.m eastern the Rams at the Saints there's been a little bit of line movement. The Saints now favored by three, a 56.5 over-under. The spread in total have hovered around these numbers pretty much for most of the week. The Rams opened the season 8-0, but they struggled a little bit in the aftermath of the Cooper Cup injury, but they have seemingly gotten back on track, scoring at least 30 points in each of the past three games. They've lost only three times this year, but one of those losses did come against the Saints, who beat the Rams 45-35 to in Week 9. As for the Saints, they lost in Week 1, but since then, they've lost only one other time all year in a game that actually mattered. Once again, they get to face the Rams at home in the Superdome. Chris,
2: what are you doing with this game? I think the Saints are probably the sharp side. You know, we have our projections favor them by, I believe, a point spread of 4.6 at the moment. So that's a, that's a pretty good value. Yeah it's tough for me to, to bring myself to, to, to weigh the points, though, with New Orleans. Just, you know, I think this game could go either way. I'm just a little bit concerned with how New Orleans came out against Philly last week. I think that there's definitely some recency bias that play with that. But, I mean, they, that they struggled. They had to, you know, they needed that fake punt in the first half. Was it the first half or the third quarter? I forget when it was. I think it was the first half. Just to, like, score a, a touchdown on, like, a fourth and one fourth and goal from by the skin of their teeth. I mean, they won that game by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. And that's a little bit concerning only because, you know, we've kind of seen this down the stretch. I mean, they've been, you know, their record is dominant. They might even be 14 and two if they were still, if they still needed to even get a win uh, in Mm -hmm. week 17, I'm sure they could have. But I mean, the previous games before that, you know, they beat Carolina 12, nine on the road and then they beat Pittsburgh 31, 28 in new Orleans so they've been playing these kind of closer games haven't been quite as dominant you know as we saw earlier in the year so uh, you know I really think that in this game what it's going to come down to is coaching I think um, particularly for the Rams and Wade Phillips because I think you know for as much as Goff has kind of struggled without Cooper Cup and he has you know it's it's, we have enough sample size to to definitely draw some conclusions there I mean if you look at the Rams past success rates in the games with Cup, they rank second. If they, when when, they, when he's out, they rank 13th. So I, I think that's going to come into play. But on the other side of the ball, Wade Phillips, they had no answer for Michael Thomas in the first game. He went bonkers, ended up with over 200 yards, a 72-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that came, as you pointed out in our betting guides on ActionNetwork.com slash NFL, Marcus Peters was just destroyed. In that game, and he gave up seven catches for 146 yards and a touchdown to Thomas. Now you have Aqib to lead back. I think a large part of the outcome of this game is going to be determined by Wade Phillips' ability to figure out what to do with Thomas because he had a very good uh, opponent specific game plan against the Cowboys, even though the Rams were one of the worst teams against the run all season long. It's largely because, of, as we've talked about, they're willing to concede the run. Ezekiel Elliott—they they loaded the box on forty percent of his carries. Uh, that's up from he faced loaded boxes on only twenty-five percent of his carries during the regular season. It worked. Now they have a key to we back at uh, you know at their disposal. They haven't really used him in shadow coverage, but I think they might only because you know Sean McVay has kind of made it clear that they're going to switch up their game plan. And the numbers with and without Tlaib are pretty stark and they're interesting. And some of this is strength of schedule uh, of who they've played. But without Tlaib, they're giving up 8.7 yards per attempt and a 23 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio. And then with Tlaib in the lineup, that drops to 6.9 yards per attempt with a 9 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio so kind of night and day and I, I, w- I would actually expect to see some 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 type of shadow coverage or bracket something with Tawib the under is actually five three and one with Tawib in and it's three and five with him out so I'm actually going to go with the under in this game I think it's a pretty high considering what we've seen out of the the Saints lately they've played kind of different styles yeah. of games like I know that that the Saints are the sharp side I get it I, I think they are they deserve to be ranked where they are but you know in a game like this I think weird things could happen I think and I think Sean McVay and I trust Sean McVay and Wade Wade Phillips to have their team prepared especially after they already got to kind of see the crowd noise and see what it's like to get ambushed Mm -hmm. um, by by the Saints in the same building we also have some content on Action Network really good article about how uh, you know rematches and the Chiefs have like the only positive rematch trend which is when you have the first game on the road and then you come home, teams like that are covering at at above, They're twenty and sixteen, so that's above a fifty percent cover rate. But uh, all the other trends as far as these rematches, the you know the, the favorite team tends not to cover. So uh, I don't feel great about the Saints. I know they're sharp side, but I'm I'm going with the under fifty six and a half here. Yeah. I feel great about the Saints,
0: <laughs> but uh, I, I do understand everything you said, and, and what does give me some pause, Sue had a really good game last week, and I think he still had an underappreciated year. It hasn't been, I think, like a flashy year, but he, I think he's still done a pretty good job, and then Aaron Donald, of course, is, you know, like an all-world player. They're going against the three guys in the middle of that Saints offense, uh, that offensive line, uh, the three guys who are the weakest. Right, like Andrews Pete has been one of the worst left guards in the NFL this year. Max Unger hasn't been especially good at center. And then you have Warford at right guard, and he hasn't really been that good. Like, where this team is strong on the offensive line is left tackle and right tackle. And so, even though you don't think of the Rams as a team that is able to stop the run, like they were able to do it last week when they needed to against a Dallas team that has been pretty good running the ball. And the Saints are a team. With this, like two headed backfield of Kamara and Ingram, they are a team that is very much focused on running the ball. But you know, the Rams were able to shut it down last week. I could see Donald and Sue having enough success on the interior of the line to help that defense shut down the run again. But I still trust Sean Payton, I trust Drew Brees, I trust Michael Thomas, and I really trust. Peters to be able to give <laughs> up some long, oh, <laughs> some long receptions man. to Thomas, but Thomas oh, is just man. it's it's like pitch and catch out there. Like Thomas is just so dominant right now that even if they they shadow with Talib and you know I don't know if they're going to like I, that's yeah. just that's kind of not their style. And, and as you mentioned, like it's a winner. Take all type of game, so you you don't know like teams not that they're even going to do something desperate, but they're going to think okay we've got to do something like we have to make a change, so they might shadow with Talib, but even if Talib is on Thomas, I still think Thomas can win that matchup, and then even if Talib is on Thomas, I think Ginn can really burn Peters, so like I think no matter what it is that they do with that defensive backfield, those wide receivers are going to be able to do enough. And then I don't know if the Rams really have a linebacker who can hang with Kamara in coverage. So I still think that even if the Saints running game isn't doing what they want it to, they will still be able to do enough in the passing game to bring this home, right? So playing at home, I just, you know, I feel pretty strongly on the saints here but i am with you on the under even though that kind of goes against like my my core principle of uh you know just almost blindly betting the over when it comes to uh games at the superdome but this is this is kind of one of those exceptions where because the saints have become such a run heavy team the dynamics is a little bit different there
2: yeah i you know i think that's that's really been the key for them it's like that with these with these totals it's that that philosophy shift has kind of changed everything and the defensive improvement has, but I mean, the Rams, like, how do, what do we think of um like Sheldon Rankin's absence? Because I think that's another kind of, it's definitely going to factor in in some way the saints are a top three run defense this season. If you look at their adjusted line yards to each direction, they were top, you know, single in the single digits, top nine against uh, everything except runs straight up the gut, essentially. So with Rankin's out, you know, that could factor in a little bit more, um with the Rams being able to kind of to to do some things up the middle and and they're not being as much interior pressure on Goff who does struggle when he is pressured um, more so than Breeze so that's the kind of thing that works in favor of Rams but I think I'm just a, like what do you make of these like that how the Saints came out last week because I was really baffled by just how much they struggled on offense like I knew Philly was a good defense I knew they had a top uh, red zone and third down defense and I knew it wouldn't be easy but I mean the Rams really won that game by the skinny their teeth when you consider they needed the fake punt and the long drive yeah. and the, the 11 minute drive and then the the the, the Jeffrey drop like all these yeah. things like what do you make of this
0: yeah I mean I think part of it was I mean it's hard to say like the rust of you know having the bye week but I think that might have been part of it and then I think also like part of why I think they have a better chance this week is I don't know this might sound weird but I think they're almost kind of like in a a no-lose situation with their run game either they're able to use their running game the way that they want and they will have success with that or they won't have success with the running game which I think is kind of the case last week and then they pivot quicker to the passing game where I think they will have success so I think the sooner that they get off of this run the ball mentality the better it's going to be for the team overall. But, yeah, I don't know how much stock I put in the slow start last week and if that might translate to anything we see this week. You know what I mean? I just it's – like it's, it's a new week. It's a team that they have some familiarity with. You know, they, they just played last week, so they're
2: kind of like back in the rhythm of like a normal week. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, you know, I, I they just—that's why I don't feel comfortable weighing the points. It's just I don't. They've looked a little bit off, and I just don't trust. Like I just feel like Sean McVay and Wade Phillips are going to have something up their sleeve. Like the Saints yeah. are of the two teams, like the more the the team I think are more likely to like do something completely boneheaded um I mean it did hurt the Rams last year in the players when they had you know like out of nowhere what was it Farrow Cooper just like fumbled away the whole game so it could go either way but uh, am I the only one that like doesn't want both favorite teams to win like I want to see either Patriots Saints to see like Brady Breeze or I want to see I want to see like McVeigh Belichick or I want to see like Chiefs Rams like I don't really care to see Saints Chiefs that much for some reason
0: I think all four of the matchups would be good, so it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. Whatever it is that we get, like I, I'm going to be fairly excited about it because, like, st- sticking with the two teams in this game, I do like both of the teams. You know, like I like McVeigh, I like Breeze. So, like either one of those teams making it, like it it wouldn't bother me so much. And I think there is sort of like this. I don't know, kind of irony of like the the Jeff Fisher list, Jeff Fisher team, like making it to the Super <laughs> Bowl, you know. So anyway, I mean, I think there are there are definitely things to uh, to to root for, you know, regardless of whoever it is who makes it. Okay, up next, we're going to look at the NFC DFS slate. Right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend based sports betting insight.
1: Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with trend of the week. It
3: is halftime of the conference championship game. The odds makers just posted the second half lines. Who do you take? The best strategy for wagering on second half playoff lines is to bet pregame favorites who are tied or trailing at the half. Unlike in the regular season, motivation is high in postseason games, and playoff teams tend to be good at making in-game adjustments. Betting pregame favorites who are tied or losing at halftime have gone 38 and against the spread on second-half lines. That's a 60% win rate since 2005. It's a small sample, but the results have been consistent with only 2 postseasons having losing ATS records in the past 14 years. The Saints are 3.5-point favorites versus the Rams in the NFC Championship on Sunday, while the Chiefs are 3-point favorites in the AFC title game. If the Saints or Chiefs are tied or losing at halftime, there's value betting on them in the second half.
0: All right, that was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network, Chris, for the second part of the show. Let's talk about some uh, some of the, the DFS implications of this NFC showdown slate. I mean, what are you doing with this slate? You have Breeze, you have Golf. Like, there's just sort of, like, wonderful weapons all the way around, except at tight end, you know? So, like, <laughs> you know, we're tight end is just sort of like a wasteland. But what are you wh- – where are you starting with this slate?
2: I think I'm still going – I'm going Kamara in the, in the captain spot in this – in, in this game because the way the slate is kind of set up like if you go with Kamara you can you can get in breathe, Goff, Gurley, Ingram and then you, you just punt with like a Josh Hill who you know yeah. doesn't you don't really expect much out of him but yeah he's like he's 200 bucks on DraftKings and uh, he's on the, he's actually been running more routes and, and playing more snaps than uh, Ben Watson for quite some time now, so you know, anytime you're on the field with Drew Brees at home, good things can happen and regression or well, progression to the you know to the <laughs> the right. can benefit right. you. So uh that's probably the lineup. That's probably the route I'm going. uh It's not really a slate where you can do too much. I think if you if you try to, like I don't think this is like last week. I thought it was more of a, like the jam in Michael Thomas slate. Right. I still like Thomas. Obviously, he's a threat every week, but he has had some some games where against, you know, in good matchups where he's had kind of these so-so games. So, you know, I don't, I think you kind of want to go back to that, get the quarterbacks in, get the top running backs in. What do you, where are you on? Cause I, this is kind of an interesting one. Mark Ingram. Yeah. Or or CJ Anderson.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because (laughs) I was going to ask you about CJ Anderson.
2: Uh, I think
0: CJ Anderson for me, I think pretty clearly, like I don't, even when Ingram has sort of like a quote unquote peak game, it's never anything that really looks good. He wasn't really all that good last week except for one run. I don't – I mean, I don't think Ingram is really all that good of a player at this point. And I think, sound like,
2: you sound like me in the preseason.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I think I, I do. You know, I don't think he's that good of a player at this point. You know, like you're basically hoping that uh, he gets a touchdown. Whereas – and I guess it's like kind of always the case in, in slates like this and with running backs. But like Anderson is just a better player – I think he has a higher likelihood actually of getting a touchdown. So I don't think it's really even close. Like, I really prefer CJ Anderson.
2: It's interesting because, you know, like he's kind of the same. He's kind of going to play the same role now, you would think. Uh, you know, Todd Gurley played 53% of the snaps. Anderson actually outtouched him 23 to 18. So, yeah. you know, if uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, Action Network, we're doing another, our biggest prop contest ever uh, for this championship weekend. All of our, personalities submitted a question so it's what is it 15 question uh yeah, contest? yeah 15 questions my mine was uh, which running back uh, is going to get the most touches this weekend and I, I think it, it's really an interesting question because of how C.J. Anderson affects that dynamic because if not I mean Gurley is obviously the one who led you know all of the backs on the slate and yeah. touches. but uh, like last week the exact reverse order with the top <laughs> I mean
0: <guys>. I would <laughs> say it is a stone cold lock that it's not Ingram you know <laughs> you know like it could it could be Anderson it could be Gurley it could be Kamara it will not be Ingram you know so like i just i think like his his ceiling is pretty much like 15 touches and i don't even know if he gets there but like Anderson could get 20 touches you know like we've we've seen that even with you know
2: a a healthy Gurley you know Anderson could still be used quite and, a bit and this isn't like this isn't just like C.J. Anderson. This is like the Barry Bonds version of C.J. Anderson. Like, he's just huge now. Like, <laughs> like, he is, he's a totally different size of player than he no. was when he was, like, on the Panthers before that. No. Like, I don't yeah. know what happened. What did this dude do in his, like, four weeks sitting on the couch?
0: Yeah, uh, someone needs to test his <laughs> urine. <laughs>
2: there's, there's, um,
0: there's some, some in, uh, you know, enhancement there. Yeah. Uh, my question for the prop contest – was uh, which backfield duo will have the most scrimmage yards, which I think that's pretty good out of of the four, you know, because those are like some really intriguing groups. Kamara Ingram, Gurley Anderson, and then obviously we'll get to them later, but Damian Williams and then I think Daryl Williams over Spencer Ware. You could sort of debate that one. And then on the other side, obviously, Michelle and White. A lot of scrimmage yardage potential for all of those guys, so –
2: yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously we'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, I think that's what made the, the other question interesting, too, is that Williams could eat like, if he, he could easily be the only feature back yeah. that's getting, like, all of the snaps and touches. Oh, yeah. Seems Reed is start, starting to really trust him. But, uh, and yeah, and this one, I think, you know, that, that Rankin's injury also helps Anderson a lot because that's yeah. kind of where the Rams will run Anderson when they use him, you know, right. straight up the middle. There's definitely a case to be made for Anderson over Ingram, even in, even in cash games, it's a little, it's a little trickier because then you have the whole, like, they're, the Rams are the road underdog. Anderson's essentially getting all of his work on, you know, backfield touches. He's not – like, if I was Sean McVay, I think what I would do with this game – and here's an interesting prop. Who gets the first snap of the game? Because Gurley was playing pass downs.
0: I think it's Gurley.
2: like he like I could see I wonder I I wish I wish corner were on here I I would I wonder what he would set the odds of like Anderson taking the first snap in the backfield I think there's definitely like a 25 to like 30 or 50 percent chance that that he's out there um but I think yeah the the home favorite thing with the Saints and you know obviously you probably have Ingram's touchdown projection a little higher but then at the same time you had Anderson playing you know he was in at the goal line a lot last week against Dallas, so it's it's a really fascinating slate. I think Anderson and and Ingram are going to be the two kind of leverage plays that that swing the slate. Um, and, and I think I do I do like me some CJ Anderson because I do like me some Rams, so I'll probably have more exposure to, to him than than Ingram.
0: All right, anything else to talk about DFS related with this game?
2: I think you know this is this is a game where. We saw Brandon Cooks kind of go off last time. Hashtag Josh Ryan, revenge game. Right, yeah. So uh, this one, I, you know, I think it was, was it you that pointed out that Eli Apple still hasn't given up a, a touchdown in coverage?
0: Uh, I think Ian has pointed that okay. out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, you the know? one thing that's kind of unreal is that he has been – like they have singled him out. Like opposing quarterbacks have really singled him out since he signed with the – or was traded to the Saints – uh, he's been the most targeted player on the team since he joined the team, but yeah, still hasn't given up a uh, a touchdown.
2: Yeah, see, all these all these things in this game that could just regress to the mean, and 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 we Saint fans angry. I, I mean, I hope not. I don't really care, honestly. Either way, it's I think it's going to be a great game. But uh, Reynolds, he'll see a lot of Apple, and he'll have some single coverage opportunities. So I think he's still an interesting tournament play as he is. Uh, most weeks and it's interesting too because we saw the tight ends even though the saints tend to do well against tight ends we saw both Higby and Reynolds have pretty productive games or at least above expectation games for them in the first meeting so those are some guys those Mm -hmm. are some people to watch but I think if I was McVay I'd I'd, uh I'd open the game with with a screen pass to CJ Anderson or like the first time Anderson comes in the game I would just I would just throw a screen pass to like get that in the Saints head that this guy is not only going to be out here to run because I think that's the one you don't want to get too predictable there. I think CJ is interesting. I think, uh, I think like the tight ends, I think Hill, you still have to uh, pay attention to Hill because at 200, if he scores like one of those easy touchdowns, uh, you know, near the goal line, it's going to be leverage on a lot, a lot of different things because of the way he, he lets you uh, get to different lineup constructions. And, uh, and then Watson had a pretty big game where he had over 60 yards in the first meeting as well. And I think that if Wade Phillips does, like make adjustments and chooses to kind of go after Thomas a little more aggressively. I think one of the kind of effects of that is that the tight ends for, or, you know, it's not just going to begin, it's going to be like gin and the tight ends for the saints are going to have to, are going to get some, some man to man matchups that they're probably going to have to, to win. So you know, I think it's kind of a wide open slate, but I, I looked at like the two early down backs and then the, the tight ends for, for leverage
0: it's going to be so tilting for everyone when Zach line gets like multiple touchdowns.
2: <laughs> you got to have, I mean, <laughs> if you're serious about these showdown suites, you got to just like, if you have a certain lineup construction that you like, I recommend, I mean, they're $10 entries. You know, if you're multi-entering, like if there's a number of those like 200 hour guys, you just got to just put them all in. I mean, Virgil Green, of all the tight ends on the Chargers last week, Virgil Green got, got himself a touchdown, too, even with Henry yeah. Active and, and Gates. I, I think Gates got what was it five catches or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it could happen with any one of these guys. I mean, Tommy Lewis could have, a, you know, Taysom Hill. He returns kicks. He's going to be in there. That's, a, that's another one, Taysom Hill. That's another yeah. tournament play you always got to keep in mind in these, in these games because, you know, he could, he could catch, run, or throw.
0: Yeah. All right. Coming up, we break down the AFC championship game right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week.
1: Money talks and action. Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report.
3: NFL playoffs championship weekend. We are traveling to Arrowhead Stadium for a huge showdown in the AFC championship game between the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. We're seeing some incredibly unique sharp action and line movement on this over-under. Two huge high-powered offenses going head-to-head. The total opened at an incredibly high 58.5 or even 59, depending on the sportsbook. Currently, we've seen huge betting on the under based almost completely on the weather forecast. Early in the week, reports surfaced showing that it would be one of the coldest Arctic blizzards ever for a playoff game. And as a result, the under Got some huge public action, but it was really only public. It wasn't sharp at all. Uh, according to our Sports Insights betting percentages, we saw around 60% of bets taking the under once that weather report surfaced showing a, uh, an Arctic Arctic blizzard. However, the weather forecast has improved, and actually sharps have gotten down hard on the over. This is really interesting. Public perception always thinks that in cold weather games, the over uh, the under hits at a high rate. You would think that just conventional wisdom, the players are going to be uh, freezing cold. It's going to be hard to throw the ball, catch the ball. Uh, They're going to have missed kicks. It's going to be hard to kick the ball, so therefore the under hits at a high rate. However, the exact opposite is true. Since 2003... Anytime the temperature is less than 30 degrees, the over has hit at a 58.9% clip. And what the Sharps did is they waited for that public overreaction to drop that line from 58, 59, 59 59.5, all the way down to 54. And that's when they hammered the over. Using our Sports Insights bet signals, we tracked a massive bet signal, uh, a steam move on the over 555 And we've seen this line now now shoot back up to around 56, 55.5 across the board. This is also a great time to take overs in general. Since 2003, the over has hit at a 63% clip in the AFC and NFC championship games. So although the public expects a freezing cold under, actually the weather is improving and Sharps are getting down on a somewhat contrarian over. All right, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article,
0: The Sharp Report, each week on the Action Network. Chris, the AFC championship game at 6.40 p.m. Eastern. Patriots at Chiefs. Chiefs favored by three, a 55.5 over under. There has been a good deal of movement on that game total. The spread is up from two and a half. The total is massively down from 59 and a half. Earlier, it moved down in the week because of weather concerns. Some of those concerns have been alleviated uh, so the the total has moved back up from you know fifty four fifty four and a half now to fifty five and a half, and it wouldn't be surprising if we continued to see it move up a little bit. Obviously, all that could change, but you know people should keep the weather in mind. The Patriots easily beat the Chargers last week to appear in their eighth straight conference championship game, but they are on the road where they have not been nearly as good this year or uh, in the postseason throughout their entire history. And then on top of that, Arrowhead Stadium is a tough place to play. It gives the Chiefs perhaps the greatest home-field advantage in the league. The Chiefs exercised their, their playoff demons last week in a dominant win over the Colts. Andy Reid is coaching in his 6th conference championship, his first with the Chiefs. He's facing the coach and the quarterback who prevented him from winning the only Super Bowl in which he appeared, and this is a rematch of the epic Week 6 game in New England which the Patriots won 43 to 40. Chris, what are you doing with this game?
2: Pop quiz. When is the last time Tom Brady won a playoff game on the road. 2012. January 21st, 2007. Oh wow! Like, th- like this would be his yeah. first road playoff win over a decade. That's not even a knock on him. That's more of a testament to the fact that <laughs> they,
0: they, they, they're always <laughs> playing at home.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they've had they've had precisely three road playoff games. Yeah, <laughs> over that span. Yeah. Um. But but no. As far as you know, the betting trends go, and obviously, because you know, because they don't play many road playoff games, we're working with a. Small sample, but uh, Brady is three and four against the spread on the road in the playoffs outside of Foxborough. You know, so including Super Bowl six and six and nine against the spread. Um, just not that that profitability that we see out of him in the regular season hasn't really translated. Uh, you know, in the postseason away from from home. So I think that combined with you know what the Chiefs are able to do, and you've been on this you know all year. You know, in Arrowhead, their defense just plays markedly better. I, I do like the Chiefs in this one. As three point favorites, you know, the over under is tough. I there's all these kind of contradictory trends going on. Yeah, and it's like you have the the arrowhead under trend and that's been hitting at above a 60% rate uh, in the Andy Reid era. Then, but then you have the fact that you know, cold these cold weather overs also tend to be a hit. I believe they're 114 and 80 when the temperatures are under 30. And so, you have all these different kind of factors at play. I, I could see it going either way, depending on, you know, what kind of game plan uh, each coach kind of comes out with. I think this is this is where you know no one's going to outcoach Bill Belichick, but I think this is a game where Andy Reid could put Belichick like, like in some tough spots because, yeah. like last week, I thought it was interesting at the end of the Chargers Patriots telecast on CBS, Tony Robo kind of opined that. Bill Belichick, you know, he's going to he's going to come up with some kind of game plan. He's like, hey, you know, sometimes Bill Belichick will just say, hey, you got to let these guys rush for like 200 yards or something. And this is one of those games where I think Belichick might he might have to do that. But I think it puts him in a tough spot either way, because the Patriots have gotten into a lot of trouble by you know letting teams run all over them. On the road, like you know, I, t- I talked about it last week. You know, the Chargers weren't able to do it at you know in Foxborough, but the Patriots are three and five on the road this season, both straight up and against the spread. And a big part of that is that they've given up over 150 yards rushing. And you know, as I mentioned last week, a ton of that has come in the first half. It wasn't just like a game script thing. So I don't know, you know, if, the, if Belichick's going to just say, okay, we'll go out and let them run it on us. But if not, you know, obviously he like he, he likes to kind of zone in on zero in on one one guy and take him out but he hasn't really been able to do that. I mean, you know, Travis Kelsey didn't go off last game, but Tyreek Hill did and and, uh, and Kareem Hunt did. So there's usually at least two guys on the Chiefs. Now you, now you have Watkins back. He played more snaps than any other uh, Chiefs skill position player. So I think it's going to be tough for him on, on defense. And then on the other side of the ball, like the Chiefs, I, I think it's not going to be nearly as easy for them, their defense uh, as the Colts matchup, because against the Colts, what they ended up doing was just pressing the Colts receivers at the line and it worked, and the Colts couldn't really do much all game. The Patriots don't really play a lot of, like, 1-1 per- personnel to even to even kind of give you that opportunity. So it's going to be a totally different kind of matchup. The Patriots tend to be one of the least 1-1 uh, personnel. So that's, like, three receivers, one uh, – running back one tight end, they play the week like some of the least of that in the league. Only I think the 49ers play less. And that's really been the weakness, uh the strength of the Chiefs de- pass defense has been against that those three wide receiver, one running back looks they're allowing only seven point two yards per attempt. When they face the two one, they're up to eight four and the one in one two they're up to 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 over ten. So they have, they've struggled against some of these other kind of looks. And I think that's where the Patriots will go. I think they'll uh, get the running backs, uh, particularly James White involved in the passing game again. But if I'm the chiefs, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell out. I'm bringing a lot of guys up, you know, you can't press the Patriots, but I'm still bringing a lot of guys up close to the line of scrimmage. I'm not letting uh, Michelle do what he did last week or in the, in the previous meeting. And, and I'm, I'm saying, Hey, you know, Tom Brady, look, if you want to beat us, you're not going to just be able to throw 15 of 17 to James White. Like we got, they got to treat him like Marshall Falk and and make the Patriots. I, I think, throw the ball down the field and take their chances. Because the worst thing that can happen is you give up a couple big plays early on. And then, you know, okay, this is the kind of game we got to play. We have Patrick Mahomes. We can easily come back from a seven or even 14 point deficit, but you know, Brady has struggled under pressure. His passer rating this year was 21st in the league uh, against pressure. It was, it, he was number one last year. Um, this offense isn't nearly as explosive, you know, without Josh Gordon, Rob Gronkowski, I don't know where he's been at. And, and Chris Hogan, as Evan Silva said earlier, they just, of runs wind sprints uh, up and down the field doesn't really get targeted a lot um or, or make a lot happen so i think this this game sets up for if, if andy reed can kind of put his team in a in a posi- in a good position game plan wise i think i think he has a superior team he's at home where they play their best i i do expect the chiefs that to, to win this football game but uh, i do think that you know uh Belichick, he's going to have something up his sleeve, but but at three, I mean, that's essentially saying okay, these two teams are even. And you mentioned the Chiefs' home field advantage; I think is bigger, larger than the average team's home field advantage. So I, I still like it at three more than the over/under, which I kind of feel more con, a little more conflicted about.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm with you on the on the Chiefs. That's the side that I took, and I'm honestly, well, just it's hard because people do like betting the Patriots, you know, but also the the Chiefs have been so dynamic this year that I think the line is probably going to stay around three. Like, I don't think we're going to see any movement, really. So, yeah, but, I, you know, I saw three right away on Sunday night, and I just took it thinking that it might move, it might not, but I felt pretty comfortable with three. And the under, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, it was just a sort of blind bet situation, but, you know, I got it at 57 and a half you know, apparently it opened at 58, you know, maybe even like 59 in some places, but I never saw that line by, you know, by the time I saw something, it was, it was down to 57 and a half. And I was kind of hoping to be able to catch the middle. And I was thinking that the line might drop just a little bit more uh, and it didn't, but I'm, I'm still, I'm fine with the under there, but I think for me, the, I don't know, like what is so interesting about this game is thinking about the way in which Belichick is going to try to defend all of these weapons and I don't know if we can use what happened in week six as a blueprint for what they will do, or is like a blueprint for what they won't do. You know what I mean? Because like Belichick doesn't tend to do the same thing twice, you know? So like in week six, they had Gilmore on Watkins and, you know, that was the guy that he shadowed and they, you know, kind of had more of a bracket coverage on Hill uh, and Hill still destroyed them. But, you know, they shut down Watkins. I don't know if we could expect the same thing again, but, you know, but maybe. And this time, I think the difference would be that McCourty would, Jason McCourty, would be uh, someone who shadows Hill a little bit more, specifically into the slot. And then, you know, I don't think it really matters, you know, like what's happening with Conley. You know, Jackson's going to be defending Conley, but I don't know. I think that's basically a wash. The Patriots have been pretty good tight end defense, number eight in pass DVOA against tight ends. They have been decent at preventing Kelsey in the past from going off, but Damian Williams is a pretty good pass catcher. I don't know if they really have a linebacker who can stick with him. They have been playing more in dime, and so I think they would maybe even have a defensive back who would probably be looking to defend a back out of the backfield, but I'm just kind of unsure about how the Patriots are going to try to, to stop this offensive attack, I mean, I don't know if they can. Like, what would success be for this defense if they hold the Chiefs to 28 points? You know, like, what is, you know, like, what is the measure of success for this defense at the end of this game?
2: I would say actually under 28 because that means that you didn't go allow the four touchdowns. Like either yeah. you got like either you gave up three touchdowns and, and held them to two field goals or, you know, or, or something else, you know, of that nature, but you didn't allow just a straight up four touchdowns of which, you know, two probably are going to come from big plays. Right. And you know that's the Chiefs haven't scored. They scored no lower than twenty six in any of their games. Right. But but you did mention it. Their their offense production goes down at home, but that's because the game script changes and their defense allows a lot fewer points at home. So you know what is it? Thirty eight uh, points they average on the road, and then thirty two it's at home. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah, if you, if you can hold them to, to 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 because if you held them to like t- in that twenty four to twenty seven range, that also means that you've probably shortened the game and you've probably made it into a a game that favors you a little bit more because I I think the one thing that the Patriots don't want to do, and this is why I say, if you're the Chiefs, I say you be aggressive on defense early and you, and you kind of dare them to to beat you over the top is because the chiefs can come back. They're built. They're fine with like, if they need to come back, they can Um, the Patriots. Yes. They have Tom Brady and we know he can come back from anything, but this team is not particularly built well to come back. I mean, totally agree. Yeah. Like they, yeah. like they're, they're passing offenses. Like, we if we could throw fifteen seven yard passes to James White, we'll be okay. Yeah, uh, but I, <laughs> if we have to throw like if we have to target Chris Hogan and Philip Dorsett, you know, a combined fifteen to twenty times, and or 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 even Rob Gronkowski at this point, yeah, I mean, even the way he's looked lately, I mean, I think that there's a chance he can have a big game. Uh, this game would certainly be the case. I think if he doesn't have a decent to big game in this game, I think it's it's clear that he probably should uh retire because the Chiefs were. We're poor in in their de- defense of tight ends, and uh, Gronk was actually the one who who led the Patriots in yardage with 97 in the first meeting. He was the one that caught the 39 yard pass late in the game that set up the uh the field goal, the game winner, and field goal as time expired. So if he doesn't, if he we don't see him in the box score with something substantial, it's pretty clear that th- yeah, this is just not Rob Gronkowski that that we've come to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the worst thing that the Patriots could do is get into a shootout. Yes. Be- you know, because like, if it's a shootout, the Chiefs, I think, win that game. I think the way the Patriots win, you know, if they are able to win, is by controlling the clock, running the ball, and, and you know, basically doing this sort of like peak performance of what they did last week. You know, but I think for them to win, we basically have to get them playing at a peak defensive level where they hold the Chiefs to a you know, like bottom 10% outcome of what they could do offensively. And then the Patriots would also have to have like a peak performance similar to what they did last week. And I think like putting those two things together, it just doesn't seem very likely to me.
2: You know what I mean? Uh, Only because they're on the road and you know, like I'm not doubting, I'm not going to ever count out the Patriots. Like I think the, like the, the lines in these games, they're like betting these games this weekend, like from a straight up value perspective, I don't think is that exciting. I think, um, you know, even though, you know, our our numbers do show a little bit of value on the favorites. I I think these games are generally, the lines are generally fair where they are, you know, three, three and a half with these totals. Um, It's more kind of for fun. And like you said, just kind of watching the game plans. I think, you know, if I'm the Patriots, would you be surprised if Bill Belichick plays like a prevent defense on first and ten? Um, like, like I could see, like, I could really see, like, I'm really thinking about what Romo said and like Romo, you know, people clown him, but like, he's actually very sharp and what, you know, like what, like a lot of things that he talks about and end up coming to, you know, coming to fruition one way or another. And I could really see the Patriots employ some kind of like extreme prevent run, hand the ball to Damian Williams, you know, the, the Chiefs do employ some, you know, RPO concepts Let's test pass happy Andy Reid and this young quarterback, and, and challenge him to put it in Damian Williams' gut forty times. Like like let's, let's literally drop like eight, <laughs> nine in the coverage on first and ten, and if if you want to get five yards with Williams, fine. But you're gonna have to do it ten times a, a drive, right. ten times a drive to get down the field because we're we're literally going to going to double everybody and just and just play like two wide like i could see that happening because like you said it, it wouldn't be good if the Pats got in a shootout. So if they could kind of shorten the game a little bit, maybe the Chiefs miss a field goal, maybe they, fump, you know, maybe something, you know, the more plays a, a, an offense runs that aren't explosive, the more likely the offense is to make some type of mistake that would, you know, then benefit the opposing team, And the, especially when you're talking favorite underdogs. So, like, I could see I could see something crazy, like, like happening from Belichick in this one.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, the idea of Belichick potentially trying to force the chiefs to run the ball and then in turn <laughs> uh the patriots leaning on a a run heavy game plan yeah is what is making me lean towards the under here like in addition to just like the general like arrowhead under trend that we see just kind of like from a matchup perspective that would make me lean to, towards the under okay we're going to close the show with a look at the afc dfs slate but first let's kick it to ian harditz who runs through the key conference championship coverage situations
1: The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the
3: Divas.
1: The Patriots passing offense in the AFC Championship is expected to continue to flow through Julian Edelman. He has double-digit targets in 10 consecutive playoff games and should spend most of his day across from Kendall Fuller. Chris Hogan has worked ahead of Philip Dorsett in these recent matchups without Josh Gordon, but Dorsett boasts the largest speed advantage in the 40-yard dash versus Steven Nelson of any wide receiver in the AFC or NFC Championship game. The Patriots will try to slow down Tyreek Hill, but they haven't been able to in two career matchups. Hill's converted 20 targets into 14 catches for 275 yards and four touchdowns in his two career matchups against Bill Belichick and company. The Patriots had Stephon Gilmore, PFF's number one overall cornerback, shadow Sammy Watkins during their first matchup this season, and Watkins finished with just 18 scoreless yards on two catches. Moving over to the NFC Championship game, it's clear Robert Woods has probably the entire game, maybe the entire week's best matchup in the slot against P.J. Williams. Williams finished the season ranked as PFF's number 109-ranked cornerback out of 119 qualifiers. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore did not shadow anyone on the Rams during their first time around, and this decision would again result in him spending roughly 60% of his snaps across from Brandon Cooks. This means Josh Jones will be on Eli Apple, who has not allowed a touchdown this entire season. Moving over to the Saints, Michael Thomas destroyed the Rams over 200 yards in a game-winning touchdown, uh, game-clinching touchdown during their first meeting this season, and he's had 27 catches for 387 yards and three touchdowns in three career playoff games. We're not expecting Peters to shadow Thomas this time around with Tlaib back in the lineup, but... Both Thomas uh, and Tegan Jr. should be able to take advantage of these matchups if Breeze has enough time to throw. Keith Kirkwood has taken over as a starting number 3 receiver in the Saints offense over Traquan Smith, and he has a massive height advantage in the slot over Nikel Roby Coleman. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to
0: check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column at the Action Network. Chris, so many good options in this AFC showdown slate. Where are you starting with your lineups?
2: So uh, I'm looking at the, I'm still looking at the chiefs first, you know, I think Damian Williams is going to be a key part of all my lineups just because I think there's a lot of different ways in which the game script or just the the game plan in general could benefit him. I mean, if Belichick does decide to you know employ, you know, kind of uh, player specific strategies, I think Williams is still the guy you have to make beat you because he's going to be picking up yardage in the, in the smallest chunks of of any of the chiefs, uh, you know, star skill position players and that, Include Sammy Watkins. So I like Williams here. I think James White is another key component because he, I think he's going to be heavily involved here. Julian Edelman actually got held relatively in check last meeting. Now that was with Josh Gordon still on the team. So that could obviously change, but the, the chiefs have had some, have had some decent success against wide receivers tend to give up a, a lot of production to Backs and tight ends, so I think I'm looking at White. White Williams is kind of a core. Definitely want Brady in there. Definitely want Mahomes in there, obviously. So that's that's kind of that's kind of what I'm doing in cash games. I think Michelle is kind of an interesting. He's like the volatile guy that in tournaments you you probably have to make a decision uh, one way or the other about how you're going to go. On you could make a case to fade him even though he's had success in this matchup with 106 yards and two scores in the first meeting because he's had really drastic and this kind of speaks to the Patriots general issues on the road um so Michelle's has averaged 20 carries 96 yards per game at home in seven home games including last week in the playoffs uh, in that playoff win and then on the road, 13 carries for 55 yards. So totally different kind of outcome is median for the season is about 61 rushing yards. So I actually like the under on his prop because it's up, it's up there over 80. And I think, you know, even though this is a good matchup for him based on the quality of chief run defense, which is not very good. It's just like inflated based on the recency bias and what he did in the first matchup. And uh, also the chiefs at home have only given up uh, an 80, 81 plus yard rusher in uh, four of their nine. Home game, so I think Michelle is a guy that I'm, you know, probably leaning towards maybe being a little underweight on because I think you know he will be high owned after what he did last week. Maybe you leverage him with, uh, with with some Burkhead, but I think one of these two receivers will have to make some plays or Gronk. So like that's kind of my like I'm in tournaments. I'm kind of cycling through combinations of like Gronk, Dorsett, and Hogan and Patterson because I think what like somebody there is going to probably have to factor in besides just White and Edelman in this game for the Patriots to win, because they're going to need to put up, uh, I think they're going to need to score some points or to like, they're going to need, they're going to essentially need to, to involve someone besides Edelman and, and, and White. And if Michelle is not as likely to get it going on the ground.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, I, I mean, I, I totally get your point to, yeah, the real question is, can they produce enough points doing what they did last week? And I don't know if they can really replicate that performance last week you know, that was just, that was them at their peak and just, you know, playing in an arrowhead, just a, a different location. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, so I yeah, think- they, they will need to get some sort of production from someone else besides their backs and Julian Edelman. And yeah, I mean, the, the clear guy would be Gronkowski, you know, like if they have Gronk uh, and he's presumably healthy, that would be the guy that hopefully they would rely on, but he just doesn't look like himself anymore. Like he's never been a fast mover, but now he just looks so slow. It's not the same. So he's
2: looking like uh, he's looking like Seattle, Jimmy Graham or uh, Green Bay, Jimmy Graham <laughs> I mean, He
0: really but, is. But it's, yeah, yeah it,
2: it, and it's like with these tight ends, you know, because I think sometimes with the receivers, you, you kind of they slow down. But, you know, they're like guys like Larry Fitzgerald and, and, and like they're crafty, even Jordy Nelson. I mean, down the stretch this year, you know, came up put together some volume we saw Crabtree with the with the big game in the playoffs you know these guys slow down but they're still crafty enough to kind of make it work but yeah Gronk was his like his game was kind of really based on his freakish athleticism and you're kind of seeing it drop off and I think the fact that he's like his efficiency when targeted isn't really down as much as he's just not being targeted and and I think that speaks volumes because you know there's no way that if especially given all the kind of the turnover that with the Patriots offense this year that if he was if, if he's healthy that they wouldn't be using him more like the fact that they're using him as a a mo- like a blocker first right. afterthought in the passing game kind of tells you what you need to know about about where he's at where they feel he's at and what they're seeing every day in practice.
0: Yeah, he feels like Shaq at the end of his career. You know what I mean? (laughs) Where it's just like a guy when he was young who was just like so physically dominant relative to anyone who would try to defend him. And like, I feel like that's how Gronk was young. Like he was just so dominant physically. And now like you see him trying to do some of the same things, but it's just like he's moving in slow motion and he's just, you know, like, I don't know, 15 pounds heavier than he used to be or something. It just doesn't seem the same.
2: Yeah, I, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like every time the Patriots are, are are in a spot where Gronk is, like, banged up, things tend to not go well. Like, the Giants Super Bowl comes to mind, and, yes. I, and I think there's another game or two. So, you know, the, yeah, like you, like you said, this is a game where if if Gronk – like, if the real Gronk is in the building, he needs to stand up because Dwayne Allen gives you nothing – I wouldn't be surprised to see like a random Dwayne Allen touchdown in this game though. He's caught four passes all year. I think it is. Um, But I mean, like again, Belichick's going to pull something out of his hat. Like you said that he probably has not done all season. And I wouldn't be surprised if like, there's like a bootleg action one way and it's like, Dwayne Allen just like breaking free wide open for like a 20 yard touchdown the other way or something like that.
0: Yeah. On a throw from <laughs> Julian Edelman.
2: Yes. Yes. To screw everybody, to screw Bronk owners and Brady yeah. owners and, yeah. and Michelle owners and everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, keep that in mind if you're uh, playing the showdown. I mean,
0: um, Brady, like, I think he's pretty clearly the least exciting quarterback uh, out of the four quarterbacks playing this weekend, you know, like from a fantasy perspective,
2: uh, at least to me. I I actually have uh, him ranked over Goff. Uh, I think, again, like I I think the Rams, just because the Rams kind of – they're kind of getting run heavy too now, and you know I don't know. Goff hasn't been good in the playoffs, like for whatever reason. I mean his his yard per attempt is way down there, so I, I still like Brady just because I think I still think this game could like I still think this game has a better shootout chance than than the Saints yeah. game. Just like it, that doesn't make much sense, but it's just it's just because of the quality of this Chiefs offense versus the the, the, the Saints, which who have been kind of sputtering yeah. a little bit. So I like Brady and I like him as a pivot off Mahomes because Mahomes is more expensive in, on this slate, so like you could get brady and like uh like for example a brady hogan stack that gives you like a lot of a lot of potential air yards uh, or even you know brady gronk hogan somebody like that gives you a lot of potential air yards and you can still kind of do some other things with the with the rest of your lineup and get like maybe a chiefs a stud chiefs receiver in with damon williams and whatnot so i i'm not terribly unexcited about him but I do agree I think this is the it's gonna be a rough spot for him uh the Chiefs were number two in sacks at home it's really as simple as that you know can can you get to Brady and pressure him and and throw him off his game and, and not let him just you know get rid of the ball quick
0: yeah and even if the Chiefs aren't able to get a lot of sacks I still think they will be able to get like the requisite pressure to make Brady uneasy in the pocket and I, I think that's uh that's pretty key there you mentioned earlier Sony Michelle and his prop. I should remind everyone to check out the Fantasy Labs props tool, which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, aka the oddsmaker. This year, the NFL props with a bet quality of ten have a sixty-five percent hit rate. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs. Chris,
2: any other DFS thoughts about this slate? If you're really trying to, you know, go tur- in a tournament with with some dart throws, Garrig Dieter actually out. Out, ran ran <laughs> more routes,
1: even, ran even. more routes
2: than Demarcus Robinson four to two. So I mean, hey, <laughs> there's that. And uh, you know, Demetrius Harris, he could, he's always liable to catch a, a a touchdown. Averages like one to two targets per game. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think it's really going to come down to which of these Patriots ancillary weapons between Ronk, Hogan, or, or Dorsett, who I actually think. Could be in the best spot. I mean, if you looked at what they what happened last time, Gronkowski and Hogan ended up having big games, but now it's kind of more like Dorsett's in the Hogan role because um, Gordon's not there. So you could, see, I think, Hogan's going to get more attention, and, and Dorsett can end up being a guy that, that gets some some single coverage. And he, he's been more productive than Hogan for most of the year. So I, I think I like Dorsett as probably the the, the favorite out of those, and and, and still. I think you still got to take some shots at Gronk because even if his efficiency is down, I think there's still the, the, the chance that he gets, uh, you know, targeted in the red zone. And that could be leverage off, off of Sony Michelle, who I think will still get a, again, a significant amount of ownership.
0: Okay. Final words. Let's get this money. That is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Ravon, I am Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you again next episode.